conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you all know about another podcast called Fly on the Call. It is hosted by my friend Scott Fuger, who has been on Welcome to Geekdom before, and it's a weekly interview-based podcast where he discusses music and lyrics, the challenges of being a band, and all sorts of things with artists. He's had on Soupy from The Wonder Years, he's talked to Vinny Caruana, Trevor from Sundressed. It's a really great music show if you are looking for for interviews with the artists about their work, and I highly recommend checking it out. There's a link in the show notes. Go give that a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Geekdom is Back. I am joined today by Travis Newton, and we are talking all about the band Motion City Soundtrack. It has been a minute since I have done a music episode on this podcast, so we hope you will enjoy this one. I'll probably try to do some more. Travis, how are you doing today? Okay, happy to be talking about Motion City Soundtrack. Yeah, this is a band that I don't think about all the time, but they're a band I really enjoy a lot of their discography. Yeah, uh, I I discovered Motion City Soundtrack in my last year of high school. I graduated in 2005, and... um, their second album, Commit This to Memory, had just leaked. It had actually leaked really early. And uh, a friend of mine gave me a, a burned CDR of it and said, here, check this out. Nice. And he had a fairly good idea of what my tastes were. And so I listened to that and was hooked. I mean, it was a kind of sound that I hadn't really been familiar with. And so from that point, I you know started to go back and, and listen to their first record, which is called I Am the Movie, uh, which was released in June of 2003 rediscovering these albums now i was actually really surprised at how well i am the movie holds up they were signed to epitaph at the time and this was like i don't know i feel like a really big step in defining what the epitaph sound would be in that era um because it was so different from what epitaph was doing in terms of pop punk and, and other and other sort of areas they catered to i think motion city fit well in that niche but they were definitely a different definitely a different sound And what's crazy, too, is that the band actually formed in 1997, and it took six years for their debut album to come out. And a lot of people also talk about the sophomore slump and everything, and it never felt like that's what Commit This to Memory was, because it was produced by Mark Hoppus. You have all of this buzz surrounding it, I can only imagine, you know, I came to Motion City soundtrack probably sometime in high school as well, except my time in high school would have been somewhere around even if it kills me in my dinosaur life. Mm-hmm. So this, um, this sophomore slump that we're talking that we talk about, which is such a common trope with you know, with alternative bands, especially, but like commit this memory was huge for them. Yeah. And it was pretty big for epitaph. Cause this moved like 285,000 units, which for that kind of record and for in this genre is pretty damn big. And it's a big evolution in their sound because in I am the movie, if you like the more underground, like dissonant, you know, punk sound, like this is their like punk show album. And it opens with a track called Cambridge, which is not one of my favorite tracks of theirs. And primarily because I can't understand a single word on it. <laughs> it's And it's not that it's like really gibberish, but um, I think in I Am The Movie, they hadn't yet figured out what their mix was, like how mm-hmm. they should be mixed. 
because, you know, they're used to playing really, really loud punk shows and they hadn't really figured out, I think, the best way to record this. Like I have some of their earlier demos and they're not they're not even as well mixed as the the tracks on I Am The Movie, but there's not enough space in the mix for the synth. Um, we have a Moog synth uh, in Motion City soundtrack played by um, the, the band member Jesse. And um, in this, you can sometimes hear the synth melodies come through nicely. They cut through the mix. Other times you can only hear the harmonics of the notes that are being played. It's a, it's a pretty muddy mix, but the songs are good. Like the songs are really good. And as is the case with a lot of first albums, like you said, like they had six years to hone these songs. And they still ha- they still have a really charming roughness to them, and um, I-, I really liked I'm the movie way more than I thought it would on revisit. Good album. Yeah, I would say I am the movie, and then Panic Stations, which we'll get to, are the albums I was least familiar with, which kind of bookend this band here. So when I hit play on I am the movie, I was like oh, they're coming in from outer space. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And it was a unique sound from the start that I didn't really recognize quite as much because of the fact that by the time I got into the band, they were playing songs from Commit This to Memory Everywhere, you know, My Dinosaur Life even. And it really felt like a different sound, but not too drastically different to where it turns you off of a band because... For me, I was listening to more of my own music in high school. My friends were introducing me to other bands, and that's where I really started to get into a lot of bands like Motion City Soundtrack, Yellow Card, a lot of these bands that you would find in the pop punk scene. And obviously, you know, with them going on to work with Mark Hoppus for Commit This to Memory, he's a big influence in that scene. And you can tell that there is a change, but it's not so much so that if you like I Am the Movie, you aren't going to like Commit This to Memory. Sure. Yeah. Commit This to Memory, I think the biggest change in it is that it's a it's a slightly different sound that instead of being a sort of muddier, more discordant, messy mix, which isn't necessarily a, a negative thing. It's way more right. punk. This, is, this becomes a much more guitar-driven rock album, and that's a good thing. Like, I think it really cleans up the mix. Um, the synth still isn't high enough in the mix for me. And I say this is I say this is a keyboard player. I also play guitar, but like I want to hear that synth because it was for me like the one element that really set them quite far apart from other acts at the time that could be considered pop punk. Um, you know, but this has the high energy that I in the movie had. It was a little mm-hmm. less chaotic and a lot more focused on creating harmonies and pleasant sounds. But I mean, commit this to memory has like their ultimate, you know punk pop hit and that's everything is all right it's a great song great song i feel like the band got a little more melodic with their lyrics as well after the debut yeah for sure justin the lead singer is one of these guys that really wanted to push himself to the limit of what he could do singing wise and that means a lot of his vocals tend to get really rough and like push himself to the the point of you know his voice breaking and they actually end up getting away with that or getting away from that rather on the next album on even if it kills me which came out in 2007 he described being a little bit hesitant to you know sing these songs live cuz he thought he you know he didn't want to wreck his voice and so for even if it kills me he he says he learned to sing prettier 
<laughs> and it still sounds like him and his voice is definitely much cleaner and he's not pushing himself to the point of the the voice breaking you know and, and he, they never go so far as to be like it's not like the used it's not Burt McCracken you know pushing himself to the point of puking on stage I think for me even if it kills me is is right in the center of their discography and it has slowly become my favorite record of theirs because they are most leaning into the power pop sound. Like if I had to nail these guys down to a subgenre, which is, you know, not the most useful endeavor, but <laughs> I think it would think it would be power pop, you know, which is kind yeah. of an outdated and still like pretty varied subgenre, you know, everything from the cars to like super chunk. There's still a little bit of crossover with like bands like Jimmy Eat World. And so I think people describing this as emo, it's like, I understand where this intersects with that, but it, I, 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 almost i'm almost hesitant but I, I really believe emo is more of a west coast sound you know it's sunny day real estate you know jimmy world well not california band they're an arizona band i still they're, they're closer to that that sort of west sound and this is a midwest you know this is a, a center of the center of the country kind of take it's like it's a way different sound it was a very very different scene I think their 80s influences really come out, you know, especially in I Am the Movie and in um, Even If It Kills Me, just in very different ways. I think it's one of those things where emo can definitely sound different and some of it has more to do with the lyrical content. And for the record, I did consult, is this band emo? And they said Motion City Soundtrack is an emo band on the website. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> is, is the, What's the URL? Is it? Is this bandemo.com? Yes. No kidding. Wow. You can bring back the guy who wrote the the emo books, the two volume emo books. I forget his name, but they were interesting episodes. We're going to have to have Tom come back on here and there we go. set us straight here. But I'm not trying to say that anything you just said was incorrect about the sound of the band. I think it's one of those things where emo isn't a perfect little box that fits very specific bands. I think it's no. one of those genres, like many genres, that encompasses a lot of different kinds of bands. And I do agree with you that bands like Sunny Day Real Estate and some of the others have a different sound than Motion City Soundtrack. And I think that is something that makes this band more interesting to me, at least, you know, because I got into this band a lot more than I got into some other quote-unquote emo bands. And it's one of those things where I'm very weird about music now. I don't know if it's because I pushed myself so much when I was like doing a music website to keep listening to new things and forcing myself to listen to new albums every single week to the point where I got very burnout. And now I just want my comfort music. And I think Motion City soundtrack is that kind of music. Mm. So you said before you had discovered Motion City soundtrack, you were listening to stuff that was your music. Uh, I'm curious what, you know, what you were listening to before you had sort of migrated um, to stuff like Motion City. So my parents listened to a lot of 80s and country Okay. When I was growing up. So I basically just had access to the CDs they owned before I got into Green Day and some other bands. Linkin Park started buying my own CDs and everything. And, you know, there was a lot of Oingo Boingo listened to. Sure. And 
country was all over the place. It was everything from Shania Twain to, you know, Alan Jackson, what have you. So that is a another genre where there's a wide variety because Shania Twain is definitely one of the artists in country who kind of, I don't want to say completely pioneered pop country, but she definitely pushed it in that direction, especially for women in country. And Oh, sure. I mean, that's not impressed me much as an incredible song. Incredible. Yeah. From a production standpoint, from a performance standpoint, that is not a country song. <laughs> it is sung and performed by an immaculate country artist. Love Shania Twain. But that's not a country song. It's more. It's really closer in a lot of ways to a lot of stuff that Motion City Soundtrack did on Even If It Kills Me. There's like heavy synth, um, really big pounding drums and distorted guitars. Like it's it's a really cool song. Um, and, and sort of bringing it back to, even if it kills me, like those eighties influences really, um, I think come to fruition and even if it kills me because they had Rico Kasich from the cars produce half this record. Right. So Adam Schlesinger was producing the other half of the, of the record basically. And so they're really leaning into the power pop sound and also that, you know, classic, um, 80s rock sound or you know late 70s that you know that the cars would do and damn if I don't love it you know this one I think has some of my favorite tracks they've done and looking back at the lyrics to this one I think this is where the lyrics get the most kind of kind of twee for them like they're kind of precious about the lyrics one of the big things that Justin likes to do lyrically is often songs of his will just sound like li- things he's listing Mm-hmm. I'm sick of the things I do when I'm nervous, like cleaning the oven or checking my tires or counting the number yep. of tiles in the ceiling, you know, like <laughs> lists of things that he's doing, or sometimes just lists of objects. Let's fight crime with mangoes and limes. Like it's really silly. And there are some lyrics like that, that I look back at and I go, Oh, what were they thinking? But I can never argue with the quality of the production, particularly on a lot of the stuff that Schlesinger was producing. Their stories about working with Rick Ocasek on the tracks that he produced in the album are not great stories they say that he was difficult to work with didn't show up for long in the day and um uh they they say that his uh engineer was actually off bring bringing more to the studio than okasic was but i think this has the best mix of all their albums i really like justin's different approach to the vocals on this one the synth cuts through in the mix every single time there's a good variety of tempos and a good variety of tones on this record i absolutely love it yeah it has a really nice sound to it. And maybe it's from me listening to all of that 80s music growing up that kind of became the reason why I ended up enjoying this band so much. And I am also a sucker for acoustic renditions. So I have to give a shout out to the Even If It Kills Me acoustic EP, which only has five songs, but it has Fell In Love Without You, It Had To Be You, Broken Heart, Can't Finish What You Started, and Point of Extinction. Solid. Yeah, the acoustic EP was sold separately. I think when I first got the album, I bought it off iTunes. Mm -hmm. And it also had an alternate acoustic rendition of Broken Heart with a female vocalist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think you can buy that on Amazon, that that one um, track. I, I think I had to track it down and repurchase it for some reason. But um, yeah, the, the acoustic renditions are pretty good, and I feel like they had the opportunity on this record to find different voicings for these songs. Like mm-hmm. they, I remember they did acoustic performances of some of their songs from Commit This to Memory, and it, it didn't quite work. Like My favorite song in Commit This to Memory is a song called Time Turned Fragile. It's one of my favorite songs they've ever done. 
um, because it's so inventive with instrumentation and structure. Like there are so many different parts of that song, just in terms of how you can divide it up into verse, pre-chorus, chorus, you know, post-chorus. And they were masters of bridge writing, I think. And I think this diminished as they went into Go and Panic Stations. But they were super inventive with structure early on. And I think that run of I Am The Movie all the way through to their fourth album, My Dinosaur Life, really emphasized like just how good they were with structure and and not adhering to standard pop structure. You know, the, the songs would suddenly find their way into like 16 bar diversions where it's just like, let's explore this different chord progression and this different melody or, or this different meter. You know, um, I liked how inventive they, they got with that stuff. Yeah. And speaking of My Dinosaur Life, this is where they brought back Mark Hoppus, probably because of that not so great experience with Even If It Kills Me. But I have to say, I absolutely adore the cover to this album. Oh, yeah. This would have been um, 2010. This was released. Boy, oh, boy, that 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 cover is really, really cute. The um, the designer, I believe, has had toys made of this uh, character, the little dinosaur with the wings. Well, yeah, I missed it's, out. It's beyond adorable. <laughs> I would like one of those. Can someone find me one? <laughs> They're probably on eBay along with all the wheat pennies from um, the other book that we just reviewed. But uh, the, the big thing about Dinosaur Life is this is their first and only record on Columbia Records. They weren't on Epitaph anymore. They thought, okay, you know, we can sign to a bigger label. We can get Mark Hoppus back and try to recapture, you know, what we did and commit this to memory. Can we move units again? And no, they they moved fewer units on this record than they did with Even If It Kills Me, which mm-hmm. to me is sad because My Dinosaur Life's a pretty good album. Yeah, it has some tracks where you can really tell they were standout tracks. And for me, one of the tracks that I really enjoy off of this is A Life Less Ordinary. Mm-hmm. It's just so catchy. It is. Uh, They do um, a fairly good job of varying up the variety of tones on this one, where things like Worker Bee and Mm -hmm. Lifeless Ordinary explore the more positive and poppy side of their perspective. And then there are things like um, Skin and Bones in the Weekends, which are a lot more dark and introspective, but are still really good songs. Uh, I I feel like both... The Weekends and um, even if it kills me, you know, the, the last track on the prior record that became the title track, like they're both like fight anthems in a way, which are like fighting to improve your mental health and fighting to stay alive when, you know, addiction and other things are threatening to get the better of you. This is the number one recurring theme in all of their lyrics. And it's it's about what Justin has gone through as far as his struggles in mental health and addiction. And this is what leads me into, I think, having a really painful revisit with both Go and Panic Stations because those albums are dark. They are bummers. (laughs) Yeah, and I was attending Drexel University for my degree in music industry at the time that they were promoting Go, and they actually worked with Drexel to put out the Making Moves 7-inch. Oh, cool. So they came into our class and, you know, kind of did a little Q&A discussion with us, and then they performed at Drexel, and we all got to go see them. And, you know, I met Justin after the show very, very briefly. And it was definitely one of those things where you felt like this was a change for the band just because like you said they're darker they sound a little different than the stuff we've heard from them before not drastically really but it 
is definitely something that is noticeable when you listen. Yeah, yeah. The um, the structure of these songs is not as inventive as some of their prior records. Um, there are some really good tracks on this record still. I really love Circuits and Wires. I think it's a great opening. Uh, I love the the synth sound at the opening of that, that sort of stuttery, scratchy sound that opens up the record. There are some tracks on this record that I will skip every time, though. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, Son of a Gun, I skip every time. Everyone Will Die, I skip every time. Bad Idea, Happy Anniversary, Floating Down the River. Like These are all songs I really just don't enjoy. I feel like Worst is Yet's a Common Box Elder, Coma Kid... These are all songs that have good structure, sound good, and you know, good production. But otherwise, it's like, eh, I, there's not as much here as I thought there was upon revisit. I didn't get a chance to revisit all of these albums simply because, as you know, I spend most of my days editing podcasts, and you can't really listen to music while you do that. But this was one of the last albums that I really sat down and listened to of theirs. And obviously, it was their second to last album. So there wasn't much after this. But because of them being involved with Drexel, and they actually curated all of the making moves seven inches, and then they put out their own as a way to sort of close out that project with the school. And I think I liked that stuff a little more than some of the stuff on go. So for me, I was like, couldn't you just put severance on go? (laughs) yeah severance is a great track so going into panic stations there was some there was a lineup change that happened in the um in the band and they Mm -hmm. lost their drummer tony thaxton and this was a big bummer for me because i feel like tony was a really crucial part of their sounds you know tony is he's an awesome drummer and some of the some of the beats that he manages to play are are so complex. Um, there is a, a YouTube video that he does explaining how to play the drums during the bridge on Time Turn Fragile, and it blew my mind. Um, the kind of commitment it takes to like having every single one of your limbs playing a different rhythm, you know, and creating that syncopation together just it's like it's something I'm not capable of. I feel like his style, which includes like these really big epic fills that are always tasteful despite being like really huge fills that is crucial to the band sound and not having him on panic stations is, is a big disappointment it's like the drum player that they got for this for this one claudio rivera great player but he's he doesn't have tony thaxton's sound um they did bring tony thaxton back for their uh, farewell tour though you know so he he did rejoin the band after panic stations as the you know they were playing their final shows but um yeah, that's that's one of the things that that makes me dislike Panic Stations. The other thing, like I said, is like most of these songs are are just bummers. Um, I like anything at all. Uh, TKO is fun, which is why it was the single. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Heavy Boots, I like. Um, Pleasure to Meet You is fun, but the rest of these songs, I don't know. They really never rise above the level of like demo or B side demo because I feel like they're rougher in terms of production and then b-side because like it's like oh, this this isn't inventive it doesn't really have that x factor it's it doesn't really get its hooks into me i don't find myself wanting to re-listen to it i'm not a big fan of the melodies or the vocal harmonies it's just not what i like about this band yeah it's not necessarily a terrible record you know i like to pretend that cut the crap didn't happen with the clash and it kind (laughs) of feels like because of the lineup change it really changed the dynamic of the band and i work on a podcast for urm academy where they talk to producers all the time and 
one of the common things that comes up is the fact that when you have a great drummer, they make it so easy to where you kind of instantly notice when there has been a change with the drummer. And it's really a drummer that I don't want to say can make or break a band because obviously a lot of people focus on lead singers and, you know, some people might not even notice when there's a drummer change or a bassist change, for instance, but lead singers and guitarists, they tend to notice those things. So drummers can kind of fly under the radar a little, but Especially in the studio, I think it's something that's more noticeable when you have someone different. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at the kind of value that that Tony brought to the band, I mean, if you just look at the the drum fills, for instance, on My Favorite Accident from Commit This to Memory, like that mm-hmm. is that is an insane song. Uh, and his fills are just perfect. And then the way he is able to create that syncopated rhythm in Time Turned Fragile, insane. Like that's the kind of sound and I think defining style that he brought to Motion City soundtrack and, and really just became such a, a crucial element to why I love the band. And this is uh, this is music that's always going to hold a special place in my heart because it you know not only did it resonate resonate with me for reasons I couldn't you know explain very well at the time in, in high school and in college, but it's it's grown with me because it is about adult experiences and you know difficulties in adulthood whether it be you know battling issues with mental health or just the drudgery of the creative process, like um, never finish anything I start like that. That for me, <laughs> it's kind of a procrastinator's anthem. Um, and I feel that I feel that very, uh, feel that very much. So it's, it's definitely songs that have had the power, the staying power to like grow with me and take on new meaning as I, as I enter my mid thirties. Yeah, I am. A little disappointed that I didn't get to revisit as much of their discography as I wanted to. I thought it was important for me to at least go back and revisit I Am The Movie because I wasn't quite as familiar with that. And it was something that, like you said, definitely has more of a punk vibe to it than pop punk or emo. And it's not as melodic, but there's still a lot to enjoy about that. And if you're someone who hasn't either revisited or visited in general their albums that sort of bookend their time as a band. I think that's still really important to get a full picture of the band from start to finish because everything in between there is pretty solid, you know, and Go might be a little darker, but it still has this feeling of a polished band. For sure. Like Coma Kid, great song. It still has that interesting structure that they bring to it. Um, has a strong bridge. Very, it's a simpler sound than I think than some of their earlier stuff. You know, less discordant. Obviously, just more pleasing to the ears in terms of production and polish. But um, it still has that signature Motion City soundtrack sound that I that I find myself craving. Like that's one of the songs. Like um, Coma Kid and Box Hiller are probably the two songs that I've listened to the most off that record. Yeah, I wish I had more time to (laughs) listen to music, but as my friends that I'm in record club with know, it's tough for me to sometimes even make it through, you know, the pick of the week once or twice. Yeah, and I I found it difficult for myself, you know, particularly with My Dinosaur Life being an active listener, because I've heard these records from front to back, particularly the first four, like from front to back so many times, just 
normally listening to them in life as I drive or as I do anything else where I'm not actively listening to the music, but it's there and it's keeping me company. Instead, you know, like with I Am The Movie, it had been a really long time since I'd listened to that record front to back. And so I was able to devote more, I think, thought, you know, listening to it with more intention and really analyzing the music. But by the time I got to My Dinosaur Life, I was just like, this is great. I love this record. I could bop onto this record. And I would find myself kind of tuning out because I knew all the words and I was able to sing along, but it's like, oh, but I'm not listening. You know, so that was that was one thing. I, I don't know if I had enough distance from some of those records to really give them their due. You know, the one thing I think that gets truer and truer for me every time is like, yeah, even if it kills me is is that record for me. It is it is their clear standout. Well, Travis. I know we discussed this before hitting record here, but I'm starting a little segment where we do some recommendations and we recommend something similar to what we are talking about. I clearly do not have a name for this segment just yet, but what would you recommend people check out if they like Motion City Soundtrack? If you like Motion City Soundtrack, check out Super Chunk. Uh, Super Chunk is one of the inspirational bands for Motion City Soundtrack, and it is going to give you that messier punkier vibe that you liked in i in the movie so um anything from super chunks discography i think is is good to start with but like look up the song hyper enough and i think that's a good place to start i am going to recommend bleed american by jimmy world the whole album if you want if not just a few tracks whatever you prefer but i feel like these bands kind of not necessarily came up at the exact same time, but, you know, Bleed American came out just before I Am The Movie, and I think it's another good album from that sort of era if you want some good jams to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both Jimmy World and Motion City Soundtrack, I think, were like defining sounds for like the Warped Tour sound at the time so yeah i love bleed american great record sweetness is so so good Mm -hmm. and they they actually did a a re um they did a new version of your house that song um i think they redid that back in 2008 they re-recorded it and rearranged it uh and i like it way better cool cool stuff great record we actually probably could do a whole other episode on jimmy world i like their stuff so much i'm not against that all right well tune in in sometime in the future folks (laughs) Look, I said I wanted to try to do more music episodes. There is a record on the artwork for this podcast, so maybe I should get on that. But, you know, we'll give us a little more lead time so we can get through Jimmy World's discography, probably. But Travis, I know we kept things tight here, which I love, you know. Less editing for me later, but... They they never made a single long record, so I feel like coming in around the 30-minute mark is perfectly appropriate for Motion City. I love short records as well, so this is perfect, and Travis, you will definitely be back for more episodes. I don't know why I haven't had you on more, and sooner. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be, yeah, it'll be soon. Jimmy Eat World sounds like a good place to start with that, so um, I will be back. Thanks again, Deanna. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.